Good evening, listeners, brave navigators of the enigmatic and the concealed. Have you ever felt the pull of the unanswered, the allure of the mysteries that shroud our existence? For more than a decade, a unique comic publisher has dared to dive into these mysteries, unafraid of the secrets they might uncover. This audacious entity is Paranoid American. Welcome to the mystifying universe of the Paranoid American podcast. Launched in the year 2012, Paranoid American has been on a mission to decipher the encrypted secrets of our world. From the unnerving enigma of MK Ultra mind control to the clandestine assemblies of secret societies. From the awe-inspiring frontiers of forbidden technology to the arcane patterns of occult symbols in our very own pop culture. They have committed to unveiling the concealed realities that lie just beneath the surface. Join us as we navigate these intricate landscapes, decoding the hidden scripts of our society and challenging the accepted perceptions of reality. Folks, I've got a big problem on my hands. There's a company called Paranoid American making all these funny memes and comics. Now, I'm a fair guy. I believe in free speech uh, as long as it doesn't cross the line. And if these AI-generated memes dare to make fun of me, they're crossing the line. This is your expedition into the realm of the extraordinary, the secret, the shrouded. Come with us as we sift through the world's grand mysteries, question the standardized narratives, and brave the cryptic labyrinth of the concealed truth. So strap yourselves in, broaden your horizons, and steel yourselves for a voyage into the enigmatic heart of the paranoid American podcast. Where each story, every image, every revelation brings us one step closer to the elusive truth. What up? They can't keep us down. They're trying to cancel us. They're trying to delete us from the world, from the planet, from the earth, but they can't. And tonight, as proof, we've got your favorite podcaster's favorite podcaster. And uh, if you don't know who this guy is, uh, you're going to learn right now and you're going to you're going to become an instant classic. You're going to love all the shows. You're going to subscribe to all of his shows. <laughs> Who's That's that the best in my window? <laughs> I like that. I'm like Bernie Whirl for like conspiracy theorists. That's great. I'm the woo man for the woo. You're, you're the right. Tom Waits of the conspiracy <laughs> world, man. Yeah. All right. All right. That's neat. That's pretty You'll cool. You'll take that, right? I didn't know so, that. Neat. So, cool. So, so Andreas, uh, dot me, Andreas Zertis, uh, the Tartary, uh, site, Sync Tank, Wednesday yeah, Ultra. Cool. You've got so many shows, man. I don't. I don't even know what's going on anymore. Uh, I, I used to. I think I came from. I was. I was at a time when like. Ha- I, I. I think. I think hashtags matter more than they do now. Probably there was a time when you just needed to create hashtags and you needed to put kind of emphasis into the the sigil and charge it up with as many follows and likes as possible, and then people would follow that. I don't know if that's how it works anymore. That seems like that might be dying, but that used to be the reason. I also had like a lot of really long titles that were just crazy long. Um, what was your you longest know, title? Yeah, as long as they'd let you, I'd always try to get as many words in there, like Titan, Tartarian, Iridian, Dwarves, Underground, DuckTales, Legends of Caballeros. <laughs> you know what I mean? Try to get as like, take a word every five to six minutes of a two hour video and put them together as like the title. Well, before we get me, I already want to jump into sigils, but before we get too far in, uh, I want like, where is the best place for people to, to follow and learn more about the crazy stuff we're going to talk about? I don't know. 
I mean, I guess you could look up Andreas Exertus on almost anything at this point. You could find Exertus videos, which is cool. Like I've done videos with a lot of people, so you can find the Exert Andreas Exertus videos there. Um, I'm pretty active on X, right? Dot com. The the that's that's probably a good place to find me. You can also go to exertus.com or andreas.me. Um, and that links you like to Tartarinova.com, which is our Discord. So there's a community there. And so there's a lot of people that are also involved with Tartaria research and all sorts of esoteric things that we have like a Discord server for. So there's that. And you can go to the YouTube channel or the Odyssey channel. You can watch all my videos. I've got like hundreds of videos. Well, you said Tartary Nova. I just want to jump in head first. What, what's the connection to Tartary, Tartaria? Is it the same thing? Like, why is that the site? Is it still like a, is it like a main thing that you love? Yeah. Did you fall in love with it? What's going on here? Well, so I did, I was, I always thought it was interesting, you know, hundreds of years ago, uh, people used to talk about Tartaria a lot more. And in the nineties into the, into the 20, uh, to the two thousands, Tartaria became something that Slavic people, post-Soviet people were really interested in. Um, South Ukraine is still run by the Tartars, right? So the Crimean Tartars are an important group in Ukraine right now in this political struggle. So it, there's always been reasons to be interested in things. And I think a lot of people just go about their business. So they're like, oh, this is something that was invented. This just, just came out of nothing. And I was like, actually, no, here's when they started, when people started kind of talking about, I have heard of this thing, Tartaria, is it real? Tartaria, is Tartaria? And, or Tata. Because like there's also where they don't pronounce the R's, like the Persians use like an um, apostrophe instead of the R, right? So there's different groups of taters, etc. But they're all the same. And Turks talked a lot about pseudo-Turkology in the 19th century. So I knew about that. So now here's the whole story. Like There's a group of people that believed that they had a culture that was suppressed and replaced. And we have today kind of the Christian Catholic uh, orthodox split versus Islam, right? That's kind of what cements over the history of what was really going on in this region. In, um, you know, Basarabia, right? Like the Bessarabia, which is Moldova today. And what's the name of that like weird so, tra- uh, Transinistre or trans, trans? There's another little nation, like a micro nation right there in Moldova. But nobody really thinks about like Bessarabia or what it was or what existed there. And a lot of people don't even understand Islam or Christianity. Like, where does it really come from? How did we get to the point where, what is it today? Christianity used to be a radical different thing uh, that had this idea that you would be equal with Christ. Right. And all these, all these ideas got cemented and got erased and replaced with Lords controlling people. And, or, you know, the, the Muslim empire similarly started out in, a place called Tartarstan, uh, and they had architecture, openness to all different kinds of religions. They ended up controlling Spain. And today we think of kind of this militant version of Islam, but that's not the most ancient form of Islam. So all of these things, they, they started out around a place that goes, it, it, it's, it's a huge nation, and yet we don't talk about it that much anymore. It's called Tartaria, and it's in all the books. The Jesuits have books talking about it, how amazing it is. Um, 
the systems of government, the families there, the kinds of ethnicities that live there, because there's various different kinds of ethnicities that live in the state of Tartaria and how big it is, because there's also several flags, because there's states within Tartaria that are east and west and central. So you have the Khazarians that are in the center of it, but it goes all the way to the east coast of Russia. And at some point, the Khazarian Caliphate controls Spain. So realistically, Tartaria controls most of Europe at some point. And that all kind of gets forgotten, which is interesting. And we talk about the Dark Ages, right? And we, this is interesting because during the Dark Ages, you have all of this amazing history. You have the Muslims in Spain. You have huge amounts of progress. You have electricity, some people say, in Cordoba, like electric wheels, like certain uh, Arabic philosophers and inventors are working on pretty advanced stuff similar to Benjamin Franklin in Cordoba, right? And all of that gets sort of forgotten and called the Dark Ages because they don't want anyone to remember. And they burn all the books. And so they would say, oh, everyone's illiterate. And then they start speaking Latin. And there's all of these new schools that are created in these churches that force people immersion style to learn these new languages. But everything is erased and forgotten. So that's that's basically the gist of what Tartaria you know, is about. Um, I don't know if that was your question. Well, no, that that's a good entry point because one of the big facets of Tartarian theories and Tartary is that they just kind of got erased from the planet and all their maps and all their history was sort of suppressed intentionally. But that's kind of the MO for what Rome used to do, right? So like when Rome took over Carthage, they just burnt down all the libraries and burnt down everything so that there's very little records of the people from themselves. It's all from outsiders looking in which is sort that's of what a huge, got with Tartaria. that's a huge actually an example of it so you have the etruscans and tar itaruscans so that's the group of etruscans and romanization is literally taking the etruscan alphabet which is mirror backwards so normally you would copy in a printing press backwards letters the roman letters are literally looking like they're written out copying some printing press from etruscan so there's a lot of changes also to, for instance, I was in Croatia recently because my family's Croatian. And uh, up until 150 years ago, Croatian spoke in a, a form of Roman, Italian, Croatian that was, you know, Spanish people, certain parts of Spain could understand it. because Spain has like 50 languages and five main ones. And certain parts of Rome could understand it, but not the rest of Italy because most of Italy only starts speaking modern Italian in the last 100 years you know, years as well. So they decided to divide it and they brought Serbian in and they tried to copy old dead language text to recreate the Slavic language, which is why today they don't say Croatia, they say Hrvatska because the H and the K are flips, right? Um, But a lot of these things are really recent that they changed them over. Like we have essentially created new cultures based on our myths of what we think that these people used to be like but christopher columbus or marco polo are they really roman italian or are they croatian slovenian uh some part of some other place which is a lot of the time the case were they even one person (laughs) or are they like amalgamations of different people right yeah that's the thing like christopher columbus is cologne right? His real name is Cologne. So like, it's more about Columbia, the goddess, you know, you think the symbolism outweighs the action. So where are you at on, uh, actually here, let me ask this question first. Andre Zertis, are you a cop? Cause if you're a cop, you have to tell me you're a cop <laughs> and we can't proceed. 
I'm stuff. definitely oh. not. I know the must. My I don't know if my mustache is an officer of the law. Okay. I think he's. <laughs> I, I don't know where he's been, but I am not. Uh, okay. Officer. Okay. I'm glad we got that out of the way. That's cool. So I'm. I'm curious. <laughs> where do you think of uh the like? I do month? like cops though. I have some friends from high school who I found out became police officers, and I was like, well, this is probably a good thing that I know these people. You know what I mean? And I feel this like they're is... always so sad because they're like, oh, I hate where the world is <laughs> like so dentist. hard to be. Yeah, it's like so hard to be a cop. I feel bad for them. But I love my friends who are cops. There's some perks, though. There's there's perks of being a cop, I think. I'm sure. But I, I wanted to, because I, the way that I was introduced in Tartaria, it was like mud flood first. And then there was like Tartaria and stuff that followed afterwards. But I just mm. want to know, like, where where are you on a, the mud flood, and then B, maybe on like the World's Fairs stuff where... So... Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you know the context, right? Let's start with mud flood first, and then we'll get to... So remind me after. So about World's Fairs. But, and so and with, I just want to specify, there's two types of mud flood. Yeah. One, uh, maybe more, but the two in my mind, one involves like high-tech lasers that melt mountains and turn people into mountains and stuff. And then another one was just kind of like a, a, a deluge, but the, it actually like the water raised part, up. From it's the part of the and, deluge, yeah. So you have right. liquefaction. There's three. So there's liquefaction where it's starting to rise up from like the oversaturated soil or salt or earth and steels. Uh, you also have uh, like w- during a deluge, you'll have sediment erosion. and But there's all... Re- so the reason that I found out about it was beforehand i was in peru and we were working ian crossland and i to stop these things called huaycos which the amazonian government has to deal with every year they're mud floods then you can find videos of it and essentially whole towns get carried away because there's no no sediment uh connection with roots or infrastructure to hold together so it just gets saturated washes away and it takes everything with it houses cars roads and bridges themselves are all picked up and you can just see people on either side of like a valley watching as all of this goes by right so that was something that we're trying to figure out how do you stop it and looking back people have had this over and over again and california had a major flood uh and you can see photos in the 18 whatever i think the 1850s or the 1890s where there's just water filling uh, Sacramento is this main streets and everything. They've got canoes like it's Katrina or something like that. And every story is the same. They lost all the records. We don't have Galveston, Texas's history records of who lived here, what was going on here. We don't know about the mob in these places. I've been really interested in Alcatraz recently because that just seems like a Guantanamo Bay for Italians and Slavs. They tried to get rid of anybody who is controlling the way America was operating uh, up to that point. Like, okay, we'll put you into a safe place. And apparently they had nice food even for a number of years before it got crazy. Relatively, I'm sure. Yeah, it depends on the circumstances, like who they wanted to protect. But it was a lot of the time they were isolating people on purpose. So I don't know. But like the idea of Tartaria is more that, of the mud flood, is that there's perhaps another deluge or something that happens in different places that's rising sediment. And that's very general. It could happen for a lot of the reasons we just talked about, saturation or environmental problems. But we do see it. We do see floods. We do see micro 
uh, storm deluge. We do we, every 11 years. There's like a heat wave every 200 years. There's a flood in this zone. There's every 80 years there's a flood in that zone. And we also have changes from human interaction. So you have the complete erasure of the Aral Sea. You have the Mulholland uh, water uh, removal of Bakersfield. Uh, You have so many crazy things that change the course of, and we don't even know, we can't anticipate how these things change things in the future, and we don't really know what they look like before that because there's such drastic changes, the gold rush erasing California, um, silver mines in Colorado, uh, just so much of the burning of the old west uh prairie chasing buffalo uh, whatever the story is there's so many the rainforest right now people won't be able to remember what it was like before very quickly and we'll we're have fern gully that's all they'll have they'll have jane fonda and ted turner to tell them the truth <laughs> Which isn't the worst uh, future in the world. You know what? It isn't. Like after we're, after <laughs> working for him, I admit it. But yeah, there's the thing is there are probably better ones. <laughs> Not as entertaining as as the world run by Ted Turner. So, but I want to know where <laughs> you know. are I think on that's like goal, right? Isn't our isn't that our goal to have like a world that's more entertaining than even even Ted even Ted could predict? I mean, granted though, credit where credit's due. I think he gets he should deserve more credit than Walt Disney. Sorry. Kind of. I, I would just I would just be less jaded at the world if I just got to green light some of my shows at the at the table within Turner Networks or William Street or whatever you want to call it. Absolutely. Yeah. But, so where are you at on melting mountains and like lasers melting stuff? What do you think about the Grand Canyon and some of these things? I mean, I, I love the idea of completely nature does these things, and I'm sure it's possible. I mean, it's of course it wouldn't take that much i think is the point like the idea that it has to be lasered off isn't really my main belief but the grand canyon is really interesting and i i'm always open to hearing more about it that there could have been something and i love battlefield earth and you know go scientology go i feel like i'm pretty vanilla on this like i guess (laughs) i've only i've only really heard the official story of the grand Canyon. can you call that the official story um, well, yeah, is the official story the Smithsonian flood guy with his under? Because I I don't remember. Like I always hear the story of the guy who found like Egyptian alien stuff under the Grand Canyon, and then they flooded it. I'm like, all right, show it to me. And the underwater, the um, under lizard cities that were under California and stuff. But it see, usually... but that seems pretty plausible. So like the other thing is California is covered in so much gold, and it's just so weird. <laughs> the gold thing, you don't think so? I don't know. Well, the I, idea I, that there's uh, giants living underground. The virgin death story I heard was that he bought land thinking it was going to be rich in oil or rich in gold or whatever, and it turned out to not be as lucrative. So it was just like, man, how am I going to get someone to buy this land? I know there's an ancient civilization of underground lizard people here, but you can't dig. And I'm not going to tell you anything more unless you come and buy the land for yourself and figure it out. I don't know. I mean, the lizard people story would have stuck. I think they told people at first that California had giant black women that ran the place that were naked. And then they told them that they were just regular sized black women that ran California that were naked. And then they told them there was a lot of gold. I mean, they told, they told them what they had to tell them. But eventually it was like, if you uh, go to California, you're going to need to pay, you're gonna need to pay somebody to wheel your wheelbarrow around for you with your gold in it. So it'd be so much gold <laughs> yeah. in California. So yeah, there, I think that was the, the bigger 
con than um, where the gold came from. I mean, there were almost from the beginning stories and the Mormons, right? They talk about Latter-day Saints. They're like, dude, this is clearly an example of post-Armageddon, right? Because we know that there's supposed to be these gold temples right and so clearly this is an explanation for this and so they even sent troops down um from deseret i think it's like 1842 uh before the rush and so they were secretly looking for gold even then and you you know i think people kind of know like there really is gold have you seen sierra madre curse the curse treasure sierra madre it's been a long time so the point is there's lots of gold in powdered form in the hills. So what they do is they blow up the mountain and then they wash it away with giant fireman hoses and you lose literally freaking mountains, you know, in the process. And then you have just flattened areas of California. And people talk about the uh, California as an island theory but it's not really a theory. It's We know that it was. It's just a matter of how long ago it was. It seems impossible to have been an island in the times that the Western settlers would have visited it unless you believe in ecological feedback loops, which have been proven from all sorts of examples. So if we almost immediately begin diverting water, doing this gold rush or whatever, cementing areas so that the rain has to fall back into the certain same places. The lagoons that would have been in where Burning Man is today would have dried up and that wouldn't have taken hundreds of thousands of years. It would have happened relatively quickly, Um, especially with the mineral deposits there. Everything could have very quickly dried out uh, and then you wouldn't even notice it. And so we're looking at things that we think are a thousand years uh, or maybe 8,000 years earlier. There were probably more like 200 to 400 years you know, in, in different times. So, and there's maps that show this. There's maps that show California as an island with these lagoon sections. And at very least, they were entertained by the Spanish, the Portuguese, the Mormons, the French, you know, the Freemasons through the French. So everyone was interested in this idea of California as an island. You mentioned maps, and I guess this also gets into the whole Tartaria thing. And I guess... So this is going to be a a generic question that you can read into a little bit because, you know, there's a little nuance here. But does an older map mean a more correct map? Like if I find a super old map that shows, you know, a different coastline, is that the right one? And everything after that is like lies that's trying to obscure the truth. Uh, so I, that's kind of, to me that's kind of like asking like is an older flag a more correct flag it's like well that's not the flag that they use anymore and for a lot of psychological borders reasons you can say the same thing about geographic changes because there are places that aren't the same um not just mandala effect there's people that will say i swear that gibraltar was not attached or was attached or whatever but it's more like, like joe biden's earlobe <laughs> yeah you know I'm, i don't mean that i mean just like places exist that change literally again the aral sea you know it's this big one of the biggest seas in the world and it's dry now and that's from the 1989 to now so in a lifetime you lose a lake, you lose a lot of species that go with it. Soichi, right? An example of a place that like all kinds of birds are going extinct. Um, you know, change is going really quickly. 
the rainforest is a hard one for people to really even understand because they told us as kids, like the rainforest is going away. The rainforest, the rainforest is freaking gone, man. Like there's almost no rainforest left. There are places like Brazil has a state called Amazonia, right? With freeways through it. You got to understand there's Wi-Fi and 5G there. There's no rainforest the way there was when you were a kid, but the rainforest still existed into the 90s. So now just because of everywhere that they've gridded it, you've got like you you got some dense tropical zones, but it isn't what it used to be. You know, there's a lot less of it. And I think that's going to and you've got more and more settlements like Mennonites going right into the middle of the rainforest and spreading out. So everything is changing so fast. We don't understand how quickly it, we could forget and be like no, there's no way that there was this here or there was that here. Um a big example, you know, like oh brother where art thou where they flood a town there are towns that were exi- that existed with churches, like stone churches, and they were buried because they built a dam here, or they removed they moved water. Like this is a this all over the United States and also the Western Hemisphere. And uh, there was another example. I know in San Luis Obispo they found like a cathedral that was completely buried um, under 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 mud. I guess you could say. There's a really good example here in the States, too. I think it was called the Johnstown Flood. And, man, get, getting into conspiracy angle of this. But I think it was like the Carnegie Steel Mill or something. And and they had created this um, this huge, like, industrial part of town with a dam. And then at one point, they decided, like, let's open the dam. And it inadvertently flooded the entire town below. And then they were able to go and, you know, buy the land up on pennies on the dollar and turn it into an industrial zone and... Um, but yeah, like it just like the town just disappeared almost immediately. That was also, I think, the first stateside national event for the Red Cross. But lots of sigils and and interesting magic in that. So that's how towns can be completely erased almost immediately. So that's possible. We, like we can actually see examples of that. So I want to lead this into like the World Fair aspect of Tartaria. Uh, and then some of these don't need to be conflated with each other, but it's just like it's the big package, right? So the concept for anyone not 100% familiar is that some of the world's fairs have been theorized that those structures or maybe there was a structure that had elaborate architecture and, and all kinds of fancy techniques that we don't know how to do today. They posed it as if it was made out of plaster of Paris and then destroyed it all. And that was to cover up the tracks that there might have been more ancient civilizations in like these large cities prior to the European settlers. So I, I just want to get your read on right. you know, how so legit some a, of that is. And just a couple of things there. So like, for instance, I think it is interesting. Manifest destiny is an over, uh, over saturated idea. We've got this idea that we are the supreme culture. That is the best culture that's ever existed. And that we brought the wheel to a place that never had the wheel, except that they have the wheel for the calendar, clearly, that said the end of the world is coming as a wheel. But other than that, never figured out how to use a wheel. I mean, like the, the logic that we've taught ourselves, I mean, I don't mean to sound like the 1619 project, but it's Eurocentric at best. You know, there's reasons why we need to dial back, uh, manifest destiny and figure out what kind of architecture did Native Americans really have what was really going on in terms of collapse of civilization, because you have several waves of Europeans, right? You have the Vikings, you have the uh, Sephards, you have the Moors, uh, you have the Spanish, and then you have the, you know, the English amongst other 
the Dutch and different that are joining it. But there's a lot of people that end up going through, and then also don't forget, like of course, Asia. So you've got Asia and Russia on the other side, and you know, along Russia's got control of Alaska. They've called it Nova, no, not Nova Subversis, Nova Angelisk, right? No, New Angeles. And they go all the way down to California and they control. And then you've got the Japanese are all, you know, the Chinese and the Japanese in different areas all along the coast. And even to this day, you see the Spanish interaction with this because Mexicans eat and a lot of Latin America eats ceviche and ceviche is like sashimi, right? Sashimi. So it's like the raw fish thing. It's like the equivalent. So you have all these weird little connections that people don't really like in Chile. You know, there's a lot of uh, sushi and things like that along the coast. And of course, like genetically for thousands of years before that too, you've got the genetic evidence of that. So there's a lot of different uh, culture that's interacting together. And there is, there's all sorts of different architecture that's going on. And there's stone building and there's, you know, there's, there's, I mean, I guess there's teepees to some extent, but it's very, very small amount of what's really going on. And it's, it's the way we look at it, like, oh, they built nothing. They built nothing at all. And uh, we went in there and we built all this stuff, you know, and especially with the World's Fair, you've got corporations that are coming in, they're demonstrating how these machines run and what they're going to use these machines for that are doing everything that the occultists and esotericists at the time, because at the time, before electricity is big, people are mainly doing this. Women aren't supposed to play poker right? Even bridge is a little dodgy for women to play. But seances are fine. You can totally do seances and this magic stuff. Well, depending on how much money you've got. If, if you're trying to be super poor and doing seances, then it might not be. No, then you, then you still got to go to like a, a clear water revival church where they throw snakes at you. Right. <laughs> you know, like they're still like they're no, like they're all about magic. Like that's the thing. The entire culture is about magic. And so then for them to be manifesting light at night and uh, media and like sound and recordings and photos and things like that, I think that there is definitely a feeling of like manifesting that they're able to create all this stuff and they're tying it back with the World's Fair to their own symbolism, which is Athenian. But what is Athenian? Athenian is kind of programmed. This Shakespeare, um, the, uh, I'm sorry. The name of it, the the Iliad, a number of like these Roman and, and Greek uh, stories, they're they're designed, you know, specifically for a purpose to imprint this programming on you. There's you can think of like the wheel of is it the wheel of fortune tarot card that has in Hebrew tarot, but if you read it uh, right to left, it's in Hebrew. You know, you, you, it says Torah, right? So Torah and tarot are kind of symbols of every generation that are imprinted. Despite as things changing, there's this sort of path that you're following. Then the energy flew, you know, went this way through these symbols, and you're hoping that you can channel your energy similarly, channel it again, similarly to like how they did this, right? So they're putting all these symbols up, and they say, you know, that Helen Keller was the only one allowed to touch the world's fair, like any of the architecture or statues, right? So, I mean, there's just a lot of little things about the world's fair that are really weird. And I, I wouldn't say that it's, oh, they just like turned on, and it'd be a cool movie though, right? They just went into a city, scratched out the names and put them. I don't think that's what happened. 
I think they probably like they took the a blazing lot. saddles where they set up the whole town. But in a lot of ways, you know, it's a good metaphor for what is def- definitely objectively true, which is American corporatism swallowed up the ingenuity of the world and all of its legacy of history. Right? You have Turks and Arabs and uh, Dutch that are all kind of they work together. And in Louisiana, this was very common. A lot of people don't realize it wasn't just a French place. There's a lot of Dutch there as well. Um, they were working with Arabs ever since Spinoza. Uh, and so there's a lot of really interesting technology that is from thousands of years ago that somehow escaped Library of Alexandria in some dramatic Indiana Jones story. So there's a lot of really good truth to that. I think a lot of people just get to the end of it they're like, oh man, they must have just faked the whole thing and a lot of it i don't think was plaster because you can go and see i think uh what's her name is it diane feinstein or in one of their gardens is it how did she play into this (laughs) one of the gardens in san francisco they a lot of those statues ended up being taken by elite and put into certain put in san francisco after the san francisco one um they put several of this there's one of the statues from the world's fair is in her garden just outside the same way william randolph hearst has Egyptian Baalbek statues outside. You know, they, they just like to do that. So that's interesting to me. I haven't heard that take, and I agree with you that even if the world's fairs weren't wiping away ancient architecture, they were definitely wiping away uh, any kind of legacy or traces to ingenuity that didn't exist out of, you know, Westinghouse or, or take your pick out of all these huge companies. Yeah, and, and so ingenuity, but also like architecture and culture. So they're saying, okay, this building is going to be in this uh, Tartarian style or this Bohemian style, right? That's what there's a, a definite effort to design. And then they're saying that the main forum, where the public forum is a place for gathering and sharing um, and exchanging of goods and services and ideas that that would be a Hellenistic forum. And so they're showing off this sort of, you know, sun God sort of idea that you come in front of this. uh, There's no roof over the sun church. You know, you just walk into Amarna and you're there. And then the light refracts upon the pool and you just, you're there. yeah. Yeah. And so it's just, this is like the installation of the symbolism in our culture in a way that's acceptable. And it's all out also, it's all after Joseph Smith tries to expose Freemasonry. <laughs> I think that's pretty important to this and more and more. Because there has to be in, in Mozart too. There's a point where they say, okay, we have to have some sort of a we have to have some sort of an illuminated culture in America. Something happens. Something to me, this seems clear that in America they say we're going to have children wearing white cotton shirts and indigo denim jeans, like all of them, so that they're all going to be like rabbis and priests, you know, of the ziggurat. And we're going to have them all get to go to the ziggurat. It'll be like forced. This is part of the goal. I mean, that had to have happened at some point. It's a goal of elevation of America under the goddess Columbia, right? I think that's, and do that, they have to sacrifice the what they think of as the birthright of the Tartars and their the the lazy because due to the laziness of the Tartars or whatever it is, right? Because they just don't deserve it. Isn't that right? Isn't that, <laughs> Isn't that more of like a Protestant uh, angle? 
It's Albert Pike. It's the Albert Pike thing, right? Because morals and dogma. He talks about like how the Tartars don't deserve it, essentially. Which is which is such an interesting dichotomy. I mean, I don't want to get totally into Pike because we'll be here for like eight hours. But man, he he got so much of his reputation because he went around legally representing natives against the government. Um, but yet, like in his personal and like philosophical studies, it almost seemed like he was against i guess like this native ass i mean it, well it's yeah, hard, imagine it's hard if you to become not, a like, public defender it, if you become a public defender you're going to end up having negative um expersions in your journal i think that's unfair <laughs> to pike but you know the not to say he wasn't a bit racist because i mean he's a product of his time i think presentism is an issue but he did write a lot about the Veda. You know, as much as he wrote about morals and dogma, he wrote about the Veda. And he translated the Veda himself and worked uh, to learn Sanskrit as much as he could. And I think he probably thought that there was a connection between the Indians and the Indians, right? The, the idea of Indios, God's children, right? Or God's people, Indios in Spanish. So he was trying to understand and he's probably shocked, I think, that they weren't <laughs> the same. And so he was frustrated by that. That could be part of the deal. Because and a lot of what he saw... up with, with uh, Tartary and Tartaria, too. Well, yeah, but they're interested in, in more um, Shintoistic... I mean, like, it depends, but Lakota, for instance, like, there's grandmother energy and there's father energy. And these ideas of energy, are, they're very different from the Veda. But also the way we look at the Veda, we look at Brahmanism. We don't necessarily look at the different, there's thousands of different kinds of Hindu religions that were swallowed up. The same way Catholicism has all these saints because they swallowed up these local pagan religions. When, and I guess Phoenicia too, same way if the Phoenicians would work, where like everyone would bring their gods to their new town and then those gods would mingle with the other gods. It Blasting on Tartaria, maybe. I can't promise that. But because you mentioned Japan and China um, sort of having some influence, Russia having influence. I don't know. I want to know why is there like this flat earth Tartaria overlap? Uh, am I looking into that or is it, does it actually exist? So and, I think it's uh, more do, that flat yeah. earthers are more open to once you've rejected everything, you know what I mean? Then it's a little bit, you're looking for something to make sense and replace it with. And so that's probably why it makes sense to start looking into things more. And you've already rejected so much. You're like, okay, I can look into this. And the more you learn from the beginning, otherwise you'll, I, I think that people that have the hardest time with this are the well-educated because as myself, I would have said, man, what about all my education I paid for? You know, but, but not just that uh, education serves as this tool. So if you're lost in a temple in the darkness, then there's four corridors that you can run in any direction. And you have four witnesses that are standing there hypothetically, you know, and they're um, professors. And each one says, Oh, I went that way. I went as far as you can go that way. There's nothing that way. You shouldn't waste your time. But you hear that from all four of them. So you just stand still. Why would you go any of the directions? That seems to be a major problem. Um, so credit where credit's due, I think, to the flat earthers, you know, for that one. But it reminds it's, me of a, my favorite scene from Labyrinth, too. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Or is your favorite scene the one where he's like, "Don't go that way." Yeah, yeah, with right the, to the castle yeah, <laughs> with yeah. the doors, and then you go to the hand tunnel. Yeah, man, it's my favorite. <laughs> sure. Good. Yeah, I just watched that again recently too. But yeah, no, I think Tartaria is about. So even with you know Asia, so Formosa is now Taiwan. But Formosa, for very, until very recently, into the 20th century, right, it was Formosa, and it was controlled by the Dutch and the Portuguese and the Moors, theoretically, before that, hypothetically. And there's indigenous Indians or natives that live on the island, even though they've been genocided over and over again, uh, that are more related to Americanism and have a similar culture with feathers and interesting uh, garb. And across China, similarly. So Tartar, Tartaria would have included a lot of China. But t- today, when we look at China, you had a plague here. You had a plague there. You, ha- you have a famine here. You have a religion there. You have, you know, like the movie Hero here. Movie Hero, where they like kill everybody and they destroy all the languages because they've got way too many languages in China. So they only have one leftover language you remember that movie i don't know look at that when tarantino like produced it or distributed had it distributed in the united states and now you can't find mm. it very easily because the chinese government i think is now banned it it was okay in 99 but culturally it's not okay now but oh, it's all I'll about the it. it's so china you know had like 500 ethnicities 300 ethnicities at the beginning of the century 50 ethnicities theoretically re- remain you know, I think about two, three languages that are legitimately spoken besides Mandarin or Cantonese. Um, like the the ultimate season of Survivor. Yeah, it's really. And so the idea of this is that as it goes on, the Han Chinese PRC, it's an ethno state more than it's a socio-economic socialist uh, Dem- democratic republic, right? If you're looking between the two, and they're pushing that the control of China means that they control the history because they they've always been all of China. So it's kind of funny because imagine if we said in America, all of the you know Pocahontas, that's us. Like, what if Trump said like he was Pocahontas, right? That would be that's what China's doing. <laughs> <laughs> that's reserved for elizabeth warren for now yeah right yeah but it's this is what this is a very this is the idea is that we've inherited the the legacy of the ethnicity or the or rather the responsibilities and the obligations and the properties and sovereignty of 300 500 different ethnicities of people with different languages and so everything that they've ever done that's ours and that's yeah. freaking crazy. I mean, like you can Italy doesn't Italy is 150 years old. Germany is 120 years old, maybe, arguably. You know what I mean? Most of these countries are new countries, new governments. They're newer than the United States' government. And to pretend that they're the same government, they wouldn't, because then they would be responsible for the debts, right? That's what the whole point of a lot of these wars are. <laughs> so it's really interesting that they're trying to say they have the responsibility of genocide. I don't know if that's the way to look at it, but that's kind of the way to look at it. And Tibet's a good example. Um, Taiwan's a great example. But you, you know, you have to look at the history of all of these different places, and you say, okay, well, where? What then? What was it before? And you have books from people that have traveled there, right? Fleming in like the 20th century, and again, Tartarum Bellicum, which is like this Jesuit book from I think it's the 1530s or 1539 or something, but it'll show different groups in the confederated states of 
Tartaria, which include the the Mandarin, uh, the Han, the Uyghur, all different kinds of people. You know, and they have different kinds of clothing. There's some that are more Arabic. There's some that are more uh, Indian. Um, there's some that are more Asiatic. There's some that are more Russian, right? And it seems that up until the 19th century, this sort of like Sino-Russian um, Manchurians, which Manchuria is just south of Russia, they were in a lot more control or influence. Maybe because of the Jesuits, uh, it could have been, but we're not really sure. And then they die. They lose a lot of control when there's a plague that kills, you know, like millions of them. It's interesting when you're saying how new Germany and how new Italy is and, you know, that there's almost like this push to make it seem like these are the most ancient cultures on earth. Yeah. Cause there's, there's some <laughs> kind of like a gravitas that comes with having that sort of, you know, a backstory. It's kind of like the Freemasons like to claim Knights Templar. A lot of people claim Knights Templar because like the old, the farthest back you go somehow means that you've got more authority. I'm, I'm curious, this is a complete tangent, but you mentioned being like around Croatia and like, you know, Slovenian stuff. There's this Slovenian researcher that I was looking up into like my family's last name, but long story short, I found this Slovenian researcher and he is writing a series of books on a people called the Veneti, which he claims were um, that people gave credit to the Venetians, but really a lot of the Venetian discoveries and technology and culture came from the Veneti which was not the Venetians. And this is more of like a Slovenian thing. And it turns into, as he was describing it to me, like these nationalist fights where now it's not so much who, where did this people really come from? You know, the, the Veneti or the Venetians, but now it's like, do you like the Mets more or the giants more? And people kind of get on to one team versus the other. And then it just becomes like, who's the most popular. Okay. Well, this is like, this is the, the irony of this. Okay. So, you know, the Veneti or the Winetti, you know, because the whether you pronounce the W version, um, are a, a Gaelic. We pronounce everything American on this podcast. Fair. So. They're Gaulish. They're Gaulish, right? So you've got sort of this idea of different groups of people. So the Germans uh, in France, they spoke more German. And in Germany, there are places where they spoke French, right? It was the first versions of French um, in in parts of Holland you had more of this Dutch, like the Dutch were speaking with Gaelic because they had more of the Gaelic accent, but they were also using Gaelic words. There's Gaelic in all of these languages. The Portuguese have the most of it left besides, you know, the Irish, but the Irish were, you know, they're conquered and forced not to speak it. And British people still have accents from the languages they used to speak. Right. So it's just the whole thing is it's a, People think that they're German if they speak German, but German was a language spoken by this Gaulish tribe, and then the Germans really speaking a Gaelic language that was brought from Spain or something like that. The whole thing is so it's soccer. It's it's literally just football games of people changing <laughs> characters and flags and shirts. But um, it's not bad to say that because the interesting point is it's not really about the blood of a people because so many of the times they convert. And they meme. So you've got uh, Albania that decides to become Muslim. Um, and you can see like there are a slot in Bosnia, for instance, that they're like, okay, the Protestants aren't allowed 
to there's Catholics and then there's Orthodox and this isn't a big deal. And all of a sudden it's a big deal. And they're fighting with each other and they're fighting. They're like, we're going to have a different, we're splitting the church and the, the, the divorce in the divorce process. You have this group saying, Hey, you know, why don't we just have our own? And then the Catholics and the, and the Orthodox decide they're going to kill the Protestants. Cause like, no, like we can we hate each other, but we can agree. Screw those guys. Right. Like at least we're in charge. You know, we want to keep it that way. And so yeah. the Muslims come in and say, actually, no, that's cool. You guys can be Protestants by uh, joining uh, the Muslims. So you have all these little mosques on the prairie, like little Baptist churches, because they basically are, you know, because of the 19th century or the 17th century or the 16th century, depending on where it happened and when it happened, equivalent to being Protestants. Like, yeah, we won't join another. Well, fine, we'll just stay here and you're allowed to do that. So... I mean, every single part of the culture is erased and replaced with a new culture three or four times over since the eight since the nineteenth century. Uh, and it seems like it's even weirder if you go back further. So, like sixteen sixty six, you have the fire of London; everything is burned. But you'll just find more examples of that: the Spanish Inquisition, Germany, Arabic coins, the siege of Vienna is crazy. Fifteen thirty nine, the siege of Vienna, because it seems like. You've got a lot of people in at least outside of Vienna, if this is the case, that are controlled by Muslims. So we don't talk about this, but basically all of Austria was controlled by Muslims, which you can hear in Arnold Schwarzenegger's accent. Like it's kind of Arabic. You know what I mean? It's not the same as a Bavarian accent. And this is still they drink five cups of coffee a day. Uh, all of this is as a remnant of what we won't admit happened. That that flips the plot line of True Lies on its head a little bit, doesn't it? A little bit depends. <laughs> All right, man. I uh, I want to get into this next segment here. I'm still playing around with the name. I'm tentatively calling it PCP. So we're gonna do a little bit of PCP. Primary really care provider. Who is your? This is the the paranormal conspiracy probe. Oh, there so. You go. I just want to get a general reading. I've got some some questions that I custom wrote for you because. Uh, uh, I I I think I know some of your answers to these, but some I really don't. I want to know the answers. So all you're going to do is give me uh, like a zero to ten rating. Zero meaning it's a psyop, it's BS, it's you know Snopes material, and then ten being like I can't even believe you're asking me this. Of course it's true, and then you know five is you know you're on the fence. You can be convinced either way. Are you ready for this? Do reptiles have feelings? What kind of feelings? Emotional feelings. Bonding. Bonding is a specific emotion. I don't know. Yes. Empathy. So, empathy is the awareness of something else being touched. So probably. Um, I think emotions are misunderstood. So if people say, oh, a robot, it doesn't have emotions. They don't really understand that a human's emotions are really just superficially charged ideas around guttural responses so instead of your body saying like in the terminator oh you're low on battery oh you have to pee oh blah, 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 blah. it's just or if there's a tiger you know it's just like run you know like guttural adrenaline just you know what to do it's like a pre-programmed sequence that happens is all like an emotion really is and i think that everything has uh, pre-programmed sequences that's alive that's really what life is so to emote is 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 a little bit more subtle um and then we we have all these ideas and philosophies 
about these emotions, why we feel the way we do. I think that's um, convoluted. And we could do, and AI can do that with the same input, same sensorial input. It could create, you know, preloaded sequences to respond. Oh, it's out of battery. I better get some battery. You know, like that's, oh man, I'm tired. Change my priorities. Can't talk to you now. Gotta go charge. You know, it's like, I think that's the same. So, um, but they don't have, uh, so lizard reptiles don't have a lot of the same issues that we do, but you have to remember there's a lot of kinds of reptiles. So dinosaurs like that live today, for instance, birds, because birds are non-extinct theropod dinosaurs. They have pre-programs where they, they train, they feed their young out of the nest. Uh, they drop their young. So a lot of reptiles do, uh, we don't think of birds as reptiles, but they are. So, I mean, it's just like, yes. What was that? 10? Is that what the answer uh, Yeah, is? I, I kind of thought it was a 10. Yeah. Is infinite land possible? Infinite land. Um, so expanding earth theory is my favorite where like the world's getting bigger and that's like, it's just like everything's expanding. I mean, it's, that's very Jesuit, but like if the universe is expanding, therefore thus, so doth I, you know, we're all getting bigger. And if we were to time travel back, uh, in time and look at ourselves, our past selves would look at us like we were giants. Cause we would be, cause we'd be expanded. You know, <laughs> I like that. So it could be that there's a, you know, always, and also volcanoes, submarine volcanoes are always producing more islands and, um, land goes away, land comes. I don't know if that's what you mean, or do you mean just sort of like infinite planes of reality? I mean, it's open to interpretation because the follow-up question is infinite space possible. And this is basically, be- again, like some people... Infinite space is possible. That's so, exactly what it is. It's possible. Okay, <laughs> okay that's, that's a very good one. So then infinite land, you would say is also possible in that. Yeah. I mean, outside the ice wall, there could be more, I mean, any, there's a lot of ways you could take that question and be like, sure. Okay. (laughs) I want (laughs) to, it's some of these are hard to ask because superficially they're like too simplistic to be, you know, yes or no, but just like read into it for what it means. Okay. So here's another example. Has anyone in the last century successfully summoned a literal demon? 10. A 10. Okay, we're gonna get we're gonna get back to that. We're gonna get back to that. Okay. Are there human clones walking among us today? Eight. Do crystals hold magical energy? Ten. Do we care about Hollywood striking? Um and by we I mean Andreas. I mean well, I have less emotions than most lizards, so <laughs> like, but I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I like, don't have I'm, the correct preconditioned programmed responses. Like, I want, I want something even better than what I want something even better for them all than what they're striking for. Okay, so yeah, just raise it and salt the earth. <laughs> Are yeah. psychedelics access to an external realm? Um. In extra, I think I think that uh, we all have access to like the realms or whatever. I don't know if they're external. Well, it's specifically like external because internal could be like it's an introspective thing. Maybe it's chemicals. Maybe it's we, but internal. 
subliminal or something it might be that when you go lower it, that we're all together like we're all in a shared subconscious or even a sub subconscious or something so i think that there could be something like that that's not necessarily external like internal in the sense that we're all uh you know like even demons and light beings are not necessarily aliens that are far away it could be that when we're looking at this idea of distance we're really seeing what's here and now um or different times, but it seems like distance because of light. We're co- we're coming back to some of these for sure. Is yeah. Darwinian evolution real? I mean, so Darwin doubted himself, and I think that you look at Madame Blavatsky's theories; they're probably more popular today. Um, Darwin was definitely a racist. I think his best theories that aren't inaccurate because it's impossible for a person to be like fully full of it right i think you it's not impossible but somebody like darwin who spent so much time around so many intellectual people he's gonna pick up some stuff he was trying to be somebody he wanted to be a he was a there are people that are popular popularists or um popularizer he's a popularizer of theories so he got a lot of his great theories from edmonston John Edmondson was a Guyanese taxidermist who had been a slave, I think, or maybe the son of a slave, had ended up in England, and he bought uh, a bungalow, uh, Darwin did, right next to Edmondson. Apparently, he loved him. He loved Edmondson. And he really was into this guy. Um, maybe on levels like that Shakespeare wrote about. Who knows? Like, But it was a little, it was a little, little intimate sounding. Um, but Edmondson had been all around the world and he had a lot of really good understanding about evolution, things that people don't, uh, don't credit him for now that they should, or they're maybe now starting to be aware, for instance, talking about birds and reptiles and their connections. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of things that he was kind of wrong about. Who was this? I just recently we were talking about Jean-Baptiste Lemaire, I think Lemaire, oh, the right? Lamarckian evolution. Yeah. That's um, a lot closer. Right, that's a lot closer. And the actually correct form of evolution is Teilhard Chardin. Chardin has, uh, as a Jesuit priest, kind of perfected in like 1915. He's, he was uh, working, and so he'd done things like discovered the Peking man against the grain. The Catholic Church had tried to get rid of him, sent him to Egypt. He discovered some bits about evolution, started writing about physics and evolution down there. They sent him to China, and then he discovered the Peking man. So he's finding pieces of evolution. He's saying, okay, clearly spirit or consciousness is coming into play. It's not completely random. There's natural selection, at least. Mothers are picking the mutations uh, for whatever reason. This is happening. And so choice, and this is something that's lost on it. People don't really study Chardin. It's a tragedy. I think that the modern world says, well, we need to get to the Gattaca stage where we can uh, control evolution. That's where we've always been, right? That's what family and and relationships have always been. Maybe, maybe. I I mean, I would say I'll push back a little bit and say that the Gattaca future is like the Coca-Cola freestyle machine. Like at any point we had the choice to have, you know, Fanta or Dr. Pepper kids, or whatever. Uh, 12 but- kids in the Renaissance. I mean, or like even <laughs> today. I mean, so like they're going through it and like a lot of things are happening. Like a lot of evolution takes place and epigenetics are happening. Which ones survive? You know, a lot of, I think probably it's worth considering that we choose and, and also why, 
it's is such a weird reason do we choose because people think this person's face is more symmetrical even though they have a lower iq or do we choose because this person you know they might be ugly and they might have like neuroses but they're brilliant and we just love that so we can use that uh the reasons why we perpetuate certain people i mean this is all stuff that was not acceptable to consider darwin brought it up and then people started using it for the earliest forms of eugenics or even just uh cultural darwinism right for managerial theory which led uh, essentially to trotskyism you know or Engelsism. And, and lamarckian um evolution would have kind of thrown some of that that eugenics out the window because one of the interesting parts, which I don't think is maybe valid, but my favorite part of Lamarckian is that there's this concept of passing on memories or knowledge through these sequences of evolution, almost like the, um, the flatworm experiments where they claim that you could teach a flatworm how to get through a maze and then feed that flatworm to its like progeny. And then they know how to get through the maze. They haven't been repeated as much. Right. Uh, There's certain things about nature. Really, a better thing to do is to look at nature and say, is there an example that exists in nature where, you know, it seems like there's memory here and it might be different than our memory, but does it exist? And so insects, for instance, um, there's natural uh, metamorphosis stages that they just seem to know what to do and they haven't been trained to do that. Um, And similarly with birds, right? Like they're not educated to this this is done to them when they're like babies so is it really that they imprint it as a baby and then they know what to do later uh, the chicken and the egg kind of thing or so domestication I think of dogs too that's, that's yeah the, and you, domestication is a real issue because we start looking at how everything's lost 25 percent of its brain mass including humans because of domestication and we don't really we can't anticipate what sort of choices these animals made in nature, even if they've been re-released, because then you've got animals that were uh, domesticated that have been re-released into nature, and they're starting to adapt, like camels in Australia, rabbits in the West Coast, um, all these rats. Dude, rats are brilliant. I hate them, <laughs> but they're brilliant. <laughs> I, got, I got a few more here, too. Now I want to go back to some of the highlights. Yeah, there's a few there that are worth... Did Knights Templar really kiss cat buttholes? I don't know. Probably not. I hope not. I hope they didn't love because, like, that means they love cats. And see, I'm one of those people that don't really, um, the spell doesn't work on me, you know, with cats. So I just, I don't know. But, like, I respect Alex. Alex Stein, he loves his cat. He loves cats. But I just resistant to the toxoplasmosis then. Yeah. Like, you know, I like people that are addicted to cats for the same reason that cats like them. And that scares me. Did we bury Osama bin Laden at sea in May 2011? <laughs> sure we did. Of course. <laughs> what sort of a question is that? Do you see the Nick Cage movie about the guy who was trying to catch Osama bin Laden? It's like a true story. Like this, 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 this Jewish guy goes to Israel, Paris glides in. He like nearly dies in the CIA. Like, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm trying to kill Osama bin Laden. And like, he's going around and like, he nearly gets him. And then the government kicks him out. And he's like, no, you can't kick me out. I'm nearly like, you guys are, you guys are, haven't done it in five years. And like, finally he gets home <laughs> and he's like sitting there crying in front of the TV. And like, we did it. We got Osama bin Laden. He's like, what? And he starts crying. And then they're like, we dropped him at sea. He's like, no way. It's a lie. It's a lie. <laughs> 
It's like that's decades. So I mean, I feel like a lot of people have to wonder um, what's the point of telling you you did it, and then um, take. I guess is that show is that enough for enough people that you just tell them that the body was. Well, and I, I like that it was like a, it was almost like a thing of respect. Like, yeah, we're going to obviously observe how mm. he wanted to die according to his religion and culture. I don't know. It, yeah, if he died. I just don't, one. I don't know. Like, so I like all the things I hear about like more and more because I was a kid. I was like 12 years old in September 11th. And I just came back from Europe. So September 3rd, uh, 2001, I got back to California after being in Europe and I just saw the musical just recently, just now, like a couple of days ago, about um, the planes that got diverted to Canada come from away. It's a musical all about all the people that were flying and they got diverted to Newfoundland because they had cleared the, the airlines. And it's just the whole time was so weird. Um, but I just remember not, you know, not knowing that much about Osama bin Laden and that there wasn't a lot of like anti-Arabic sentiment around me. And it took five days for everyone to become super anti-Islam, which they never knew about or heard about before. I think, but even ironically, there were kids who just heard about it in like Bible class or in school and had no problem with it the week before. And now it's like, okay, you have to hate this person. But as the time went on, like, you know, you hear about Osama bin Laden had a love for Final Fantasy seven right he loved it was his favorite video game he played call of duty uh he was into flash programming he was a nerd it's, it's dude. interesting that he was an american by any sort of metric right yeah, he dude. was more american culturally than anything else but uh, yeah. yeah i don't know dude it makes, it makes me ask questions about cut bay and the the whole Frankenstein's monster here yeah. and, and, all right so and <laughs> Last question, just because I want time to, to go back and ask you some of the follow-ups. But uh, do you think, again, score from zero to ten, we could have a car that runs on water if the government didn't prevent us from doing so? So the answer is ten, except for, like, it's not really the government, I don't think. It's, like, corporations or something like that. But, yeah, there's been okay, people okay. that have cars that run on water. My mom, even, like, so she told me this story once that when she was in... Uh, Vienna in like 69 or something like that. She was like in school back then. She went there. She was hitchhiking or I don't know how this happened. Here with her friend uh, met this guy who's like 60 and worked for like Deutsch Ford or one of these like car companies. And he just invented a car that ran on water and he was just like like at a restaurant with them and like eventually told them because like they're nice American girls who learned German already. So he was like impressed. And it's like, it runs on water, just on water. <laughs> and he died like right, uh, like a year within that year, you know, and there's a number of examples of stories just like that, that I've heard of, but it was just funny, like her own experience with that. Like lots of people have uh, made these things, but there's always a reason against it. Probably also the FCC would probably say, oh, you can't have this kind of electricity or this kind of energy, you know, because the amount of energy it would take in terms of ampage or something they might say we don't want you to have that um and yeah i think it's more like you could you probably is the military in the sense of things that like the military industrial complexes like you know um raytheon like lockheed etc like skunk works that but they're tangentially military like the military exists to make sure that corporations don't exceed 
the schedule of Moore's law of where they want technology to be while they present this idea of an alien threat, AKA the military industrial complex allowed to evolve outside of the American uh, infrastructure. It's John Galton Atlas shrugged, right? Like when people say there's UFOs and it's aliens, it's probably just like companies that haven't been uh, kept down by the government. So, so you think it's entirely possible that someone might have already leaked like the plans on how to make a car that runs on water to like Pirate Bay and it's just a matter of before enough people know how to do it and make it themselves? Uh, I forget. What was the deal? I mean, so, you know, you and you talked to Bernie, right? Like, but they have, they've got, there was a guy who made a water car like like 10 years ago and released a lot of the paperwork and like got killed and there's there's a lot of people that were inventing free energy devices of this and that. They weren't necessarily um, zero, what's it called, zero turn energy, where they, in a vacuum, can produce more than they put in. But machines that can run themselves up until they're solar charged or wind charged or water charged to uh, to reduce the entropy to zero. So there are machines that can continually run for like 20 years and things like that. And yeah, they've shut companies have shut people like that down because you could have a giant electric motor in your basement, every house, or maybe just one giant one for every block. But if people started having the ability to have free electricity, um, a hundred years ago, that would have been, you know, like there would have been issues with that. And we, we've heard a lot of stories about Tesla. Some of those are mythological, but the idea of Westinghouse trying to restrict people from free energy because yeah you could you could transmit in energies and just now starting to allow to open those frequencies and bands and the FCC still gets trouble for high speed charging wireless devices and things like that like you have to have contact or a contact and everything yeah that's, that's I guess that feeds directly into that too like Tesla if, if you could really tap in the ionosphere and just get unlimited energy how come someone's not tapping into that and just selling it for like eighty percent you know, the price of FBL well, there or whatever. probably are certain people that have like allowed frequencies. So like Tesla supposedly had a Pierce arrow that had electricity sent from Niagara Falls or whatever power plant had sent up from that. So he could run his car wirelessly. And you could imagine ionic lifters. There's a lot of stories about where technology can go with flying saucers. If you had a solid state ionic lifter where the magnetism is forcing the ions down, it levitates upwards. You can use electricity from cellular towers to send out uh, a frequency that produces enough EMF that it forces the ions down. And you could have, you know, a bunch of non-powered solid-state crafts at any point. And we have the infrastructure for that. But that's not what it's being used for right now, as far as I can tell. All right, I want, I want to rewind back to this question in particular because I want to just get I want to get your full deep take on this and and poke at it a little bit. So when I said, uh, "Has anyone in the last century successfully summoned a demon?" and you said ten, so first I want to qualify this that a demon in in this context I don't think it's like a Jungian archetype. I don't think it's like a, an enneagram. Um, I don't think it's like some kind of like deep larping thing where you're just you know playing out again you like want an extra ter- you want cor- you want to incorporate an extraterrestrial i want an alien i want lamb i want a ghost i want i want the exorcist i want pazuzu i w- like is you know does can you summon pazuzu and levitate and spit vomit and stuff 
So I always had these like visions. I don't know. Like imagine like the government in Oakland, like have with like uh, Elon Musk or somebody back, you know, in the day on jetpacks with uh, like different burning bushes, you know, skullcap and whatever, not sage in order to make smokes around a giant redwood crucifix that they're trying to manifest a slug and the amount of work it's going to take to incorporate its um, its uh, extraterrestrial form. Because that's the other thing is we're talking about a demon bringing it into our reality is the extraterrestrial part because it's what it's it's beyond it's from another territory essentially. Okay. That yeah, is I think that's really the bridge and they're always talking about like oh first contact but what they mean by that is you know they they're trying to say we're going to bring this to the other side and it, they want you to think it's so far away but they even measure the distance in time right so it isn't so much that it's far away also i think that there are rings and i think that time is forwards and backwards affecting if something affects something like a ring in the for you know backwards in time so there's a lot of examples of people trying to raise demons i was thinking more along the lines of yeah a 10 in the case of everyone is possessed in america or not everyone but probably most people in the world i think at this point are possessed by demons on some level through the media through uh culturally removing familial uh, blessings of mothers and everything else i mean things that you would intuit like in Nigeria, like you would immediately say, of course, like you, you need to have your mother bless the child. And in the, the Hmong in China would know you don't tell a child they're beautiful or things that used to be obvious to the native American, you know, that kind of thing. I think we've lost a lot of the, to the Christian, even all of this stuff that's made it easier for people to say, Oh yeah, do what thou wilt," And then stick and carrot, allow yourself to be controlled. And the Slavic idea of a demon, you know, is more like you said about the manifesting of the, charging of a of a self-created demon people are feeding into other people's demons though because they become like a demon from the 80s or from the 1800s it doesn't matter somebody who's a gambler somebody who's a an addict somebody who's um they lose themselves to the perpetuation of the evil embodiment that that takes over their life and manifests them i think there's that and then technology people are making ai they're homunculi ai they're trying to build machines that uh are open for spirit to flow through and just being invited i think allows for it to happen maybe it's not like the sandman you know where the manifest dream in the glass case with the solomon sigil around but i kind of feel like it is i feel like people are doing that and they shouldn't be you know and you have to have a witness outside of the triangle and he's seeing it he's probably like a burger fry cook and he's like hanging out with a judge and the judge is constantly just like summoning demons, you know, cause that's what he does, you know, <laughs> maybe not. Well, okay. So, so <laughs> on the same, on the same thread to pull it away from just like abstract vices and cultural programming and stuff. I'm, I'm interested if you believe in a concept of like objective evil uh, or like a manifested evil that just exists in its own right and doesn't, abide by just cultural um you know relativity like is there an actual you know evil that can exist in the world that can infect things and make them evil or is it all just a matter of perspective 
I mean, it, it seems hard. Like, so on one hand, like when people judge, like that tends to be more evil than most people. Like when you when you're like, oh, that person's evil. Well, just saying that makes you it's worse than any fascist running any train. You know, to me is like to judge a person. Probably, I think that's pretty biblical. A lot of time, like you're, it's not our job. But at the same time, there's a lot of horrible, terrible things that people are doing to each other, and that seems pretty evil. And it it seems like that is real you know and it's so the catholic church changed the prayer recently from deliver us from evil to deliver us from to the evil from the evil one and i think that's like rhetoric you know i think it's it's a horrible change we from evil that's what we want to be delivered from because evil seems more objective than the evil one i mean the idea that the devil is equal with god is already thrown out it's supposed to be like an angel like from the lore right and even that isn't correct. You've talked to um, Esoteric Eddie, of course, about Phosphore and Isis and the idea that uh, Lucifer isn't really the character that they've been kind of made into in the Middle Ages as well. But then, again, people need it. So if people need it and people manifest it and that's a people need the evil one, then yeah, I guess it exists. The problem with that, though is it puts it outside themselves and they can't see that, you know, there is evil in them. And a lot of the time that comes from um, selfishness versus trying to do what's right for everybody. And that can be, I guess, kind of a convoluted idea. And I want to finish it up on this one right here. Not because it's like most important thing, but I'm, I'm genuinely curious. You said 10 that crystals have magic energy. So I want you to, I want technology you just like you okay. use you use quartz and stuff for your clock radio and like you know this is a enchanted rock you know what i mean like this is all okay, okay. can i can i restate this that uh, uh fair enough yeah they, they do have magical energy <laughs> could could um does like rose quartz uh for example have something innate within it that can actually like fix your mood or change your mindset or is it all just you know fancy sort of placebo effect going on i mean i think a lot of that stuff is placebo but no i think also crystals do have um the ability to do things which is why people remember them so well after we had a reset or and lost the access to using crystals for whatever they were used for before but it probably even exists in nature where crystals are picking up and sending um radio and you can hear it in like different parts of deserts or something like that and even further the idea that the crystals are growing in a pattern based on radio from other crystals i mean that is amazing that essentially is propagation wireless sex i mean that is the first case of that, that it's demolition man yes yeah, <laughs> demolition. It <laughs> so i mean so like so crystals are cool and uh i think the main thing is people need to see we obsess over philosophy, which is the inner quality of things, but the physical practical is so magical. Like the fact that you and I are talking right now is crazy, right? Like the instantaneousness of it. And we ignore how practical magic works in our lives. And we're doing that more and more. We're ignoring more and more how amazing life is every day. I think that's a big part of how people get by. And it's just, the amount of illusions and very soon you'll be walking down the street and you'll see um, a mist projected in front of you of an advertisement for Budweiser. You know, this is crazy. It's crazy stuff that we're seeing. I think that's, we have to embrace how magical everything really is. 
It'll, it'll be a Bud Light ad, more more specifically. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, because Bill Gates just put a billion in, right? Or a trillion or whatever it was. <laughs> that's going to that's gonna be the actual uh, new drink. Yeah. So uh, I want to start wrapping up here. Is there any is there any topic that we like just breached on the edge of and you were like, oh, I wanted to get into that more or or anything? I mean, you know, so in terms of Tartaria, like we obviously could go always way deeper. There, you can think about examples of technology that we find over and over again that we thought were new. Um, pen telegraph is my favorite, like a wireless machine that swings a pen and it sends a radio signal to another machine or over a wire that swings a pen. So it draws a fax, you know, from one machine to another. And the railroads had them, uh, the Dutch had them. Caselli had invented this apparently in the 1600s. And he says he really got these designs from an Arabic bazaar through the Dutch. So there's all of these old machines. And when you start looking into, you know, uh, Cordoba, like I said, like electricity, these are statements of people that like went to these cities and they're like, wow, the Arabs, you know, they have water wheels when you get to town. And then those are turning and there's water that's pushed through the town along these grids. So you walk through the town, but there's like green and trees growing and everything's cool. And there's no mosquitoes because the water is constantly moving and there's lights at night which are not made by fire. You know, and these are all the kinds of stories that then lead to Francis this is Disney Bacon. World. You just described Disney World. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. But this is Cordoba, which is South Spain and one of the philosophical capitals. And from there, you start hearing like the Gnostics, the, uh, the Rosicrucians, especially talking about how they're going to rebuild Nova Atlantis. Um, and that's, so there's a, there's a lot of players, I think, that come together. And it's really interesting how you know, we have the story of Tartaria. It gets smaller and smaller. Atlantis becomes more and more important. Um, building colonies and erasing these older places becomes more and more important. And then we're constantly told they did nothing. They built nothing. And um, it's even harder. You know, you look at the Catholic Church and you might say, oh, at least they saved the gods by putting them saints. Well, that makes it harder because it's harder to tell where they begin and it ends, right? And so this is the other thing is how things bleed into themselves so we don't really know. And then also the foundlings. We didn't really talk about the foundlings at all. Most important thing is taking tens of thousands of kids from Russia and bringing them to Canada, taking tens the of orphan thousands trains, from Canada. Right? Not just trains, boats. Kids from Canada to Argentina, kids from Argentina to England, kids from England to America. And, you know, kids from Italy back. So the Catholic Church was sending kids all over the world because uh, they were worried about incest and, and inner city issues, like wanted to move people together and away from each other. Uh, different countries have been doing this for thousands of years. Kill everybody or uh, sterilize everybody to so unit culture, you know, because they're taking over the land or move people out into different places, take all the kids and make them into, you know, the population that's going to kill off this other population that they're trying to conquer somewhere else. So, and then there's this triangular trade network or even just the pyramid, um, uh, like socioeconomic hierarchy. You look at the native Americans and the mestizos, the mulattoes, the, you know, the indigenous are at the very bottom. The native people are at the very bottom. Look at India. It's the same thing. The untouchables are the most indigenous people. They're at the very bottom. And the people that were, the, the slaves or the warriors or the in mixture 
between them are higher than the people that are mixed into native. Anyone who's from that place is at the lowest. England, right? The English are at the very bottom of their own hierarchy. They have a German family that has this claim to be from another country to this run This is it. like being in a band and like you're not supposed to play in your own town because that means like you're small potatoes. But if you play in like neighboring towns and it means you're bigger. That could be. It could be like college rock. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, right. that's basically. I mean, we, we could keep going. And honestly, I'm in the back of my head. I feel like we should do like a Pike Tartaria or a Pike. A Pike we should. Something. I want to learn Absolutely. more about because I know like I've been thinking about Star Trek a lot because Christopher Pike is clearly. And if you read the first pilot episode of Star Trek, the plan with Christ Pike uh, with his Anton LaVey first mate and just like the plan that's going it's just really interesting to me and madame Blavatsky is number one i mean clearly that's the goal right i think that's what they're doing there so yeah, i feel like we need to make like the the authoritative um reference guide for albert pike and star trek like it yeah. doesn't exist yet there's a few blog articles and stuff but like we could be the ones that do the full deep dive dude it's worth it <laughs> well uh again let, let people know where else to find you i mean we do sync tank every week on tuesdays right. the following day sometimes i drop in you do uh wednesday ultra what else do you got that's really what you guys should do come on tuesday and watch paranoid american watch thomas and i and uh david and eddie uh we do a good show i think it's worth it but yeah you go to youtube watch exertus x-a-r-t-u-s and you can find me on andreas.me or exertus.com Go to TartaryNova.com and join the Discord, which is the community. Lots of cool videos are shared there. And we have AI robots that like will repost if uh, Thomas posts something. It'll post there so you can follow all of his links or all of everyone, like David and uh, everyone else from all the other shows. You can kind of, it's a place to organize all of our content in a pretty good way. So it's worth joining the Tartary Nova Discord. And yeah, definitely watch the show. I think that's the thing to do. Oh, yeah, we have a, we have assimilated with Skynet fully. Yeah, it's good. So. All right, man. Uh, stay paranoid and total paranoia is total consciousness. Peace yeah. out. They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart? Available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. 
Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.